Our passage this morning comes from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12, verses 33 through 40. I'm going to back up, though, and read just a couple of verses previous this, uh, verse 31 and following, uh, and, and then preach, though, mainly from verses 33 through 40. Before I read our passage, let's go to the Lord in prayer that he would bless the reading and preaching of his word. Our Father and our God, we come before you this morning in the name of Christ. And as we turn to your word, to these words written by the evangelist Luke, but under the power of your Holy Spirit for our infallible instruction, we ask that you would give us the same spirit, that these words might not return unto you void, but bear fruit unto uh, your glory, that they might bear fruit in our lives of repentance from sin, of trust and faith in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and obedience to your will. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Hear now the reading of God's holy word from the Gospel of St. Luke, chapter 12, verses 31 through 40. But rather seek ye the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell that ye have, and give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in heaven that faileth not, where no thief approacheth, neither moth corrupteth. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Let your loins be girded about, and your lights burning. And ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he will return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. And if he shall come in the second watch or come in the third watch and find them so, blessed are those servants. And this know, that the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour, ye think not. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our Lord abides forever, and his people said, Amen. Amen. Last week, we we saw in Jesus' preaching to his disciples, he warned them off anxious worry. He had warned them off covetousness. He had warned them off hypocrisy. And he, as a cure, or an alternative to that, the, the proper virtue in place of the vice, was to seek the kingdom of God in faith, trusting his goodness, so that no matter what trial might come, Uh, we were confident that God would provide for us. But the question then arises, what does it look like to seek the kingdom of God? And here in the final part of his discourse, before Peter interrupts him and he goes forward, as we will see in chapter 40, verse 41, Lord willing, come next week. Uh, Before that, he describes here in two basic sort of of instructions are characteristics of those that uh, seek the kingdom of God. What it is that we ought to do. What are the disciplines of those that seek the kingdom of God? And the first one that we see in verse 33 and 34 is to secure our hope in heaven. The second one is closely related to it. Uh, It is to keep vigilant and ready for his coming because he is 
that treasure that we have in heaven that we see in verses 35 through 40. So let's look first at the first one. Uh, let's look at the, the secure, the, the, where we're supposed to keep our hope, where we're supposed to keep our security, uh, and that is in heaven above. He writes, uh, well, he speaks, Luke writes, uh, in verses 33 and 34, Sell that you have, give alms. Provide yourselves bags which wax not old, a treasure in heaven that faileth not, where no thief approach, neither moth corrupt. Where your tre- for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Treasure is a word that we, we, we generally mean use it oftentimes today synonymously with riches or with wealth. But, uh, and, and we think of you know, the pirate's treasure or the treasure that's hidden in the place. And no, you have to find the clues and go get it. But understand that even when we speak about the pirate's treasure, that we're using the word properly because that was wealth that was stored away for when the pirate retired. He could go and dig that up and then live wonderfully in some sort of Caribbean um, debauched city. That's, that's, what, that's where he put his earthly security. And if you think about that whole story, the sad thing is the treasure, if it's there still, means that, well, he didn't understand the vanity of life. And he didn't understand that, that you're not to put your treasure in places that corrupt, not simply because what can happen to the treasure, but what can happen to you. But we are to put our treasure in heaven uh, we could translate this word treasure. We could translate it nest egg. We could translate it retirement savings. We can translate it 401k. We can translate it investments. I mean, even in our lifetime, many of you, I, I remember around the turn of the century, turn of the century, and I'm talking about the year 2000, not 1900. But um, turn of the century, the Enron situation and the MCI situation and uh, the Bernie Evers situation. And people lost, people we know, lost treasure and nest eggs and retirement. And I'm not saying that, and Jesus is not saying that we ought not to lay aside a bit of wealth. He's not talking about uh, irresponsible handling of the good things that you are given. What he is speaking of, though, is that wealth is not treasure. That those investments we might have are not really securities, even though the government's calls them, you know, there's the Securities and Exchange Commission and all that. They're not secure. And Jesus says, don't make them that. Uh, Jesus says that you ought to secure your hope where it's worthy to be secured. That you secure your hope in heaven where thieves can't even approach, where moths can't corrupt, where rust can't destroy, where bags don't wax old and you lose it little by little. That grace opens a storehouse to you that's unlike the rich man's barns. Grace opens a storehouse to you that will not prove vain. And that there are vanity. Remember what vanity is. Vanity of vanity, all is vanity. He's not saying all things are worthless. But he is saying all things pass away. 
It's like a breath of the wind. You have it for a moment and it's gone. Uh, if, if it was worthless, then they wouldn't be blessings. But they are, blessings themselves can be vain. They come for a moment and they go. But grace opens a storehouse that will not prove vain. We see this, by the way, it's, it, it's spoken differently, but in the same sort of language. Uh, Peter writes in the second epistle, chapter 1, verse 5. Uh, in ver- the first four verses, he has his greetings. He, he extols the grace that we have in Jesus Christ That in verse 4, that we can even be partakers of the divine nature, which just means that we are wrapped up into that eternal love between Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, that, that in the consummation of all things, it will be between the Father, the Son, and His Bride, the, Holy, the, the Church, and the Holy Ghost forever and ever. And contemplating this great mystery, Peter immediately moves on in verse 5. He says, and besides this, Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge temperance, to temperance patience, to patience godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity, or agape, that love that seeks the good even of, of others uh, unconditionally. But these are all graces that we grow in and that we ought to look and see. And notice what he says about it in verse 8. For if these things be in you and abound... They make that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. Secure. Uh, For if you do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And what he's talking about, even though he doesn't use the word treasure and all that, he does use the word uh, safety, security, surety. Um, he's saying basically what these graces are. These are not the way into heaven. That, that's secured by faith in Jesus Christ. Christ ourself brings us into that glory. But these are the, the, the infallible signs and seals that we have a treasure in heaven. And so we want to look in our life to make sure that we are, uh, our virtue is growing into knowledge and temperance and self-control and brotherly love and charity. That is, uh, love to our brethren. That we make our calling and election sure. Because we can, be, we can have a false hope, we can have a hypocritical hope that receives Jesus just to kind of uh, to numb that fear we have of our own conscience and, and to assure ourselves that after we live worldly in this present world, we can live heavenly in the next world. And that's a false surety. Many will say it that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do many things in your name? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of iniquity, I never knew you. So how are we sure of heaven? We look at the fruit of Christ's grace in us. And these then become like a nest egg. Like a 401k, like a, an investment, a treasure house that is sure and firm that we can see God's eternal decree in our lives through the fruit it bears. That's what Peter is talking about. And this is open to us by that grace that Christ has when he calls us unto the kingdom of heaven. Heavenly treasure then also then uh, it also then it dispels dis, it dispels covetousness and worry. But Luke says, 
uh, in verse 32. Well, Luke says, Luke writes, Jesus says in verse 32, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. So if we're pursuing that, we know that see, our seeking is always uh, with, with corruption there. Even when we're doing good, even when we're being generous, we're oftentimes congratulating ourselves at the very same time that we're corrupting every good work with false motives. But, but we can boldly go forth at least in what sincerity we can muster because we know that God is willing to condescend to receive and give that. That this is something that he's not withholding from us, but he's generous to give us. And, and when we have that heavenly treasure, then we're not coveting because he's giving it, right? We, we're not lacking it. Uh, so we're not anxious and coveting like he speaks of in verses 16 through 20 or 15 through 20. And then we're also, because we're not afflicted by the worries, it might go away. We might not have something to clothe us because we're trusting that God who feeds the ravens will feed us, who clothes the lilies of the field will clothe us. Then we don't even have that anxiety and worry anymore. And so we can then give ourselves to generosity. And this, in the first part of verse 33, this is exactly how he begins this Securing our hope in heaven comes in that discipline of, ironically, giving it away. Uh, he says in verse uh, 33, sell what you have and give alms. This is the way. Uh, heavenly treasure allows for a liberal generosity with earthly goods. You can't be free with that which you consider to be your security. If you're, all your hope is set in that little nest egg that you let by, then you're not going to touch it. No matter what somebody else needs. Because you know that all your good lies in that nest egg. And you're going to be very loath to dip into it. You might add to it, but you're not going to dip into it. Because that is your safety. If your safety is your home, then you're going to be very careful about opening it up to strangers. If your safety is is the secrets you keep, then you're going to be very loath to confess your sins. This is just that we are not free with our security. But if our security is God in heaven above, if the Lord Jesus Christ is our security then that means all these other things I've been talking about, our wealth and our, our good, they, we enjoy them for our provision. We enjoy them for uh, aiding and protecting and fathering our safety, that, that God works through these secondary means. That We're not saying that uh, we're going to be stupid with our wealth and expect God to fish us out of it. But we can be free with it. Because we know at the end of the day, if we... If we if we overgive, well, God is still going to provide. And he's going to sustain us. If we, and, and my wife can tell horror stories about me doing this. If we open our house up to strangers recklessly, God will nevertheless protect his fools. If we're doing it for the kingdom of heaven, 
We can be free with that which is not our security. And, and not only that, we can be free knowing that because it's not our security, it's actually fathering our security, which is in heaven above. So give and it shall be given unto you is what uh, Jesus himself says in chapter 6, verse 38. Uh, he says, give and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. Shall men give unto your bosom, for with the same measure that ye meet with all, it shall be measured to you again. God will be merciful to those who show mercy, says James. Or we might uh, look at Proverbs 19, verse 17. He that hath pity upon the poor lends unto the Lord. And that which he hath given will he repay again. That when you are merciful, God considers it a debt he must pay. And God is a debtor to no one. And he will not remain a debtor to anyone. And he will repay. Uh, in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 10, uh, the writer writes, God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have shown toward his name, in that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. You have served others, and God has considered himself obligated To repay. So when we are free then with our earthly goods, what we're doing is building up that treasure in heaven. If you look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, we've seen it uh, this last couple of weeks uh, in his admonition against uh, trusting in wealth. Uh, he then turns to the Christians that do have wealth. And he gives them instruction, not that they be made poor, note. Verse 17, charge them, that the rich, charge them that are rich in this world, that they be not high-minded, nor trust in the uncertainty of riches, but in the living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to share, laying up in store for themselves a good foundation against the time to come, that they may lay hold. On eternal life. That it is part of then this, this security in heaven makes us, like God in a way, able to be generous in the world. And that leads then to the second. When we secure our hope in heaven, then that leads naturally that, that if our hope is Jesus Christ, then we're going to be ready and quick uh, for his coming. Look at verses 35 and 36. He says, Let your loins be girded about, your lights burning, that ye and ye yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord, when he shall return from the wedding, that when he cometh and knocketh, they may open unto him immediately. Verse 40, Be ye therefore ready also, for the Son of Man cometh at an hour when ye think not. Uh, the, the picture is that we are are to anticipate the coming of our Lord that we might serve Him. Now, there are ways that Christ comes. Uh, his second and final glorious coming, His bodily return, will be at the last trump, at the end of time. And then the dead in Christ shall be raised, and we who are there at His coming shall be changed and meet Him then in the sky. And heaven and earth will be judged by this great court, even the angels above will sit and be judged by Christ and his church. 
But also the coming of the Lord includes our personal coming. We don't know when the Lord will come. He might come before I'm finished preaching this word. We don't know when we will die either. It will come in a blink of an eye. It can come in a blink of an eye. Uh, The Lord takes young and he takes the old. Verse 20, thou fool, tonight your life is required of you. So even if Christ shall linger for another thousand years, understand that all of us will have a time when he comes for us. But not just that. If you look at the images of the coming of Christ Jesus, uh, say in the book of Revelation, in the first uh, chapters when they're writing to the seven churches, the, the whole epistles to the seven churches, but when he calls them out individually, he warns them that he's coming in judgment to be ready for it. That some of, them, some of them will not, and they will fall away. He's not talking about the end of time. He's coming that time when he will call upon our services to be ready at that time. He comes in many different ways. And we have to be eager to meet those opportunities. And the reason why we miss so many opportunities is that we're not vigilant, watchful people. The image is of servants who have a good master that want to serve their master and make sure that that his good time didn't end when he left the wedding, but that he would come home and be comforted uh, before he turned in for the night. So it's, it's a picture of e- eagerness and joyful service, but also a seriousness that befits the Lord. Remembering, like we read in verses 4 and 5, that we ought to fear not those that can kill the body, but those, him that once the body is dead can cast the soul into hell. This is the sort of Lord that we're dealing with. This is the, the great king that we had the privilege to serve. But then also... And this is the encouragement and beauty of seeking the kingdom of God. Whatever duty we're called to, whether it is to deny ourselves for the benefit of another, whether it is to lay down our life for the name of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, whether it is to give up the ghost in this worldly race, whether it is to receive Christ as a second coming, whatever the duty it is that we're called to pales in comparison with the blessing that comes for doing that duty. Look at verse 37. It says, Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. Verily I say unto you, that he shall gird himself, and make them to sit down to meet, and will come forth and serve them. When you consider what we do for the Lord, and then consider what the Lord has done and will do for us, there is no, there's no comparison. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 9, let this mind be in you which was in our, our Lord Christ Jesus, who, though he considered it not to be considered robbery to be equal with God, nevertheless made himself of no reputation, took upon himself our flesh, suffered and died because we couldn't bear that punishment and was raised again that we might have victory. Raised to the glory of that his name might be exalted above every name. And the great feast that is the day of judgment, 
we will be invited to a place where God himself shall serve his servants in the person of Jesus Christ. Christ did this on the night in which he was betrayed when he washed his disciples' feet, John 13, and Peter complaining and got the rebuke. And Jesus tells us, this is the kind of leadership that I want. This is the kind of leadership that you're called. I didn't come to minister, be ministered unto, but to minister, to serve. That God condescends for us. And you will not exceed him either in your generosity or your service. Your generosity for the sake of the Lord will not compare to his generosity to you. Your service of the Lord will not compare to his service for your benefit, service to his Father to be sure, but for your benefit that he is rendered. This is what it means to... This is how it is that we seek first the kingdom of God. We, we live with that heavenly mindedness. We secure our hope. We make it our trust. We make it the first of all of our hopes and desires. And then we eagerly wait for the opportunity to serve our Lord, which means we never slack off. Which means that, you know, uh, we, we, we don't confuse the work of the church. Uh, the church is to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. Uh, but just because we're, we, we don't find uh, opportunity to do that, uh, and perhaps we don't find it because we're not looking for it. But that doesn't mean that we're not ready and always refining and honing our knowledge and our discipline and our piety and our service. Because we never know when the Lord will call upon us uh, to, uh, to, to answer uh, that call. So just in closing, just a couple of helps to help us live in that heavenly readiness to which we are called to when we're called to the kingdom of Christ Jesus. First, we heed two warnings. We have to take warning. Uh, there, uh, love and devotion is also motivated by a little bit of fear. Uh, your, verse 34, Jesus tells us where your heart is, well, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. The good news of that is that if our treasure is in heaven... Our heart is in heaven and secured. The bad news is, or the warning and admonition, it's a good news if, if we catch the warning, is that if you're living for the things of this world, if you're setting your heart on this world, understand that even if you gain the world, all you gain is a vanity. That you will suffer the same fate that that world will suffer, where it comes under judgment. So, so consider also the vanity of not seeking the kingdom of heaven. And then also look at verse 39. He says, And this know that if the goodman of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not have suffered his house to be broken through. This is a warning. And in the context of this passage, uh, we're not speaking so much as Christ as the thief, which is often the case in the New Testament here. Although, considering in chapter 11, we dealt with Jesus, the strong man that robbed and bound up the devil and robbed his house of his saints, maybe, maybe this is a reference that, you know, Satan's disciples are slackers. And this is why he's being robbed of his possessions. 
But it's also a warning for us that if we consider ourselves disciples of Christ Jesus and are not keeping our hearts ready for him, then we're not just failing to serve him. We're actually opening a door for the devil, the thief, to take in and rob and lose that which we thought was secure. Not because thieves can approach the heavenly glory, but because our heart wasn't there and we thought it was. So take heed those two warnings, but also then remember these promises. That living for King Jesus is not in vain. Jesus says that give of your goods as alms to the poor and secure for yourselves bags which will not wax old, a treasure in heaven that thieves cannot approach unto and moths cannot corrupt. In uh, 1 Corinthians 15, uh, we, we heard it recently in, in a funeral. Paul is talking about victory over death. And then he says in uh, the last verse of that chapter, he turns to the living and he says this, Therefore, my beloved brethren, he's not speaking of the dead. He's speaking of those that have the hope of eternal resurrection. Be ye steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. That whatever you do, and we do it in this world with things that are passing away, and we are tempted to think that even those good things that we do are themselves vanities, but they are not in Christ Jesus. That they are remembered by him, And that leads us to the second promise that the Lord obligates himself to bless you when you are a blessing to others. To bless your eagerness to seek the kingdom of heaven. Where he, like that Lord that certainly if we make it real life is mythical, that this is Jesus' parable, uh, what a Lord to have, will come down and make himself the servants of his servants. That God does not, is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love. That he obligates himself uh, to give unto those who have given unto him, despite the fact that we can only give unto the Lord because he's given to us in the first place. That's a promise, and it ought to make us ready and eager to seek first the kingdom of heaven. Let's go forth and do so. In Jesus' name, let's pray. Our Father and our God, we come again this morning in the name of Christ. And as we go forth, we ask that you would abide with us, that this word would be implanted upon our hearts, that we would not go forth and forget, but that we would remember and that we would do, looking not to our own merit, but to the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ, that we would look to your loving provision for us, that we might be as free and generous as you are with us. We pray this in Jesus' name.